Hello, everyone. My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching the Indian Wells finals and semifinals for the men's as well. Women's, if you're if you're into that as well, uh, on Friday. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today. In terms of news outside of the tennis world, we can discuss Tom Brady unretiring and playing, deciding to play uh, football for the Buccaneers. Just my overall thoughts and opinions on it. Uh, Joe Rogan not wanting Donald Trump on his podcast and his overall remarks on that issue in regard. Uh, in terms of news within the tennis world, we can discuss Rafa Nadal losing to Taylor Fritz and Taylor Fritz winning against Rafa Nadal and just Rafa Nadal's uh, timetable for the clay season and whether or not his Indian Wells loss will be a factor for his clay season. And we can obviously end with my weekly pick, which will not be a comedy special. I That's some good news for you to hear if you're sort of pissed off or not really excited for another comedy special to be uh, given as a weekly pick. Today's weekly pick will be a little bit different. But where we'll start off today will be the WTA final between Iga Swiatek and Maria Sakkari. If you guys did not watch it, you watched a pretty lopsided match, I would say, a one-sided match, a better appropriate way to say it. Iga Swiatek beat Maria Sakkari 6-4, 6-1. And overall, the match, uh, while it did lack the sort of competitive spirit, I would say, that we would often be accustomed to be seeing. And on final Sunday, especially for the women's side, uh, there are a little bit noteworthy things that I do want to get into uh, that I think is quite appropriate and quite important to at least discuss. Uh, So the first four games, we'll just get right into that first set. Uh, The first four games were broken by each other. And when I first watched this, I was like, this isn't, this is different. I've never seen this play out in the ATP like this at all and honestly i kind of enjoyed it uh because it was a breath of fresh air and most importantly it gave individuals a a chance to see for me specifically uh because i've mostly been following the atp side of things for the indian wells tournaments usually when i cover tournaments it's usually more atp than wta but i just thought it would be quite uh important to at least discuss this because as i mentioned previously it does give you some difference in in and your enjoyment for it. But yeah, that for those first four games were broken by each other. They made it 2-all as a result of it. Uh, Shuitek was able to hold and make it 3-2. And when she was able to hold, you could you could sort of see that she was more... She had a more of a game plan compared to Sakari. She had great forehands. She was able to be composed and reliant near the baseline. While Sakari did have shots that did go her way, uh, it was more so... Shuietik doing it than, say, Sakari, and it was more evident as this match would go on, especially in that second set. So Shuietik was able to hold to make it 3-2. Shuietik was able to break yet again uh, on a double fall to make it 4-2 by Sakari. And again, small mistakes like that would pay off in the long run for Shuietik on Sakari's, you know, mistakes. So yes, she was able to break on a double fall. Sakara was able to break on a triple break to make it 4-3. So even though that first set, uh, while it did have some mistakes by Sakari, she was still able to compose herself, and she was still able to make it so that the final score for that first set would still be, you know, comparative. So yeah, Sakari was able to break on a triple break. Sakari's backhand down the line makes it 4-all and holds. Uh, Shuetek holds 5-4. Great return serve by Shuetek make, to make it 15-30. Four serving five. Sakari serving. Sakari double faults followed by Sakari error on ground stroke allows Shuetek to take the set. And again, small mistakes like that. The double faults really uh, was a factor in that first set. And again, as I've said before, Shuetek was just able to make the correct adjustments to her game in that latter half of that first set and would carry on into that second set as well. So that second set, Shuetek holds to make it one love. Sakari holds one all. 
Great forehand cross court by Sakari to make it 40 30. Straight take serving. Straight take holds to make it 2 1. Uh, Straight take breaks Sakari to make it 3 1. Explosive forehand by Straight uh, take allows her to love hold at 4 1. And again, that was just a thing of beauty. Uh, to see her get that winner to make it 4 1, oh my God. Uh, it probably is in the highlights if it's not already. Another great forehand to make it 4 15. One serving four. Sakari serving. Sakari breaks to make it 5 1. Uh, sorry, not Sakari. Shuitik breaks to make a 5-1. Forehand down the line uh, gets Shuitik to make it 6-1. Thus ending the set and ending the match. And you just saw her have so much, so much emotions coming out of her uh, when she got that forehand down the line. And it was really emblematic of just how dominating she was in that second set. You know, that was a small micro... I wouldn't say microcosm, but that was a small shot that really gave you an indication as to how that set went for the two of them. You know, Shuitik was just amazing and dominating in those second in in those rallies and those shots. And Sakari just didn't have an answer to it. And as a result, she sort of ran away with it in that second set. And as a result, she is your 2022 Indian Wells champion. I'm excited to see what's next for Shuitik. She's prolific with the clay season, and she's prolific with doing well in this clay schedule so i'm excited to see what's coming out for her uh i know there's the miami open and i'm not so sure if, if the women are also playing the miami open i think so if she's uh down to play uh that's great to see because i just think it, it just adds more practice to her and who doesn't want to see should we take host and hoist another trophy you know uh obviously it, it stinks to see sakari lose you know i do want to see sakari win uh, you know, she is very sort of aggressive on the baseline play. Uh, they very ha- they have a very cons- they have very similar playing styles, but I do want think that Shuitik is able to just hold off on the aggressiveness to a certain T. And what I mean by that is just she's just able to control the tempo and pace of the of the ball, and more importantly, is able to incorporate this slice if need be, and often win with the slice. And with Shuit- uh, with Sakari. Uh, I'm getting those two names mi- uh, mixed up because they're just so similar and just sound and and syllables that whatever. But Sakari for me, like when I think of her, I just think of just clean, aggressive, you know, just straight up flat ground strokes. With Shuitik, you know, she's able to add in some slice, some variation to it. Not saying Sakari can do that. I just think it's more evidently so through Shuitik's game than Sakari. So I do think that it did playoff in the wrong long run for Shuitik to win and you know I'm, I'm excited to see what's next to her you know I really am um you know I, I think you know for the clay season you know things are so you know nothing is set in stone set in stone for the clay season things can change you know who who knew Djokovic would beat Rafa Nadal last year for the French Open semifinal you know who knew that would happen you know, if he went back to the Italian Open final last year, you would have thought that, you know, Rafa Nadal would have, you know, repeated his Italian Open final win. Uh, but that just wasn't the case. You know, things can change. You know, nothing's set in stone in tennis. You know, some of the biggest upsets can happen. You know, we'll get into Taylor Fritz and Rafa Nadal in just a second. But again, you know, it's very, very important to keep an open head uh, whenever things like this do happen, you know, because things can change. And as a result of it, you just have to be prepared for it and brace it you know i mean there's nothing better than seeing an upset there's nothing better than seeing uh you know elements of surprise you know who knew who knew gil monfils would beat uh daniel mevedith you know again i'm not saying sakari is not some bum you know she's not i mean she's you know talented she's like top ranked she's top 10 ranked i'm just saying that you know things can definitely change uh and you know who knows what can happen in two, three months' time, you know. But for now, let's enjoy this win by Shuitik. You know, I mean, we've seen her succeed last year as well. She's won several tournaments last year. So I'm just excited to see what's next for her, honestly, because she's very interesting to watch. She really is. She has her own unique playing style. It's different from many other women that are on the circuit. You know, while she does have great forehands, and while she's able to do well at the baseline, She's also able to have great serves and willing to incorporate the slice and isn't afraid of getting her opponent near the net to hit a great passing shot. You know, and I think that's something that is very different compared to individuals that we've been seeing previously. So, yeah, overall, I'm excited to see uh, what's to come 
for Shuitik. And I, I hopefully we're able to see more of Shuitik in the ensuing months to come because overall she's just such a breath of fresh air, honestly. I mean, how can you not dislike how can you how can you dislike Shuitik? I mean, she's just such such a likable individual, you know, both on and off the court. You know, she just has has such an admiration and such an love and an appreciation for the game that is, you know, unmatched by any other tennis player. So yes, Shuitik beats Sakari six four six one, and as a result is a twenty twenty two Indian Wells champion. So congrats to Igor Shuitik on the win. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Uh, I've discussed this on my podcast clips channel, so go check it out on my podcast clips channel. It's titled How Taylor Fritz Won the Indian Wells Final Against Rafa Nadal. Uh, Not so good on the views. No worries. I I would expect that to happen. Uh, But yes, Taylor Fritz beat Rafa Nadal in straight sets. 6-3, 7-6, 6-3, 7-6, and if you didn't watch my clip, it's like a 12-minute clip on my channel. Uh, I do like a bit, like a more in-depth analysis on that than what you would see on this channel. I know I said vice versa yesterday on my podcast clips channel. I just thought, you know, I'll add something later to it with this discussion, but uh, let's just get right into the match, shall we? I, I feel like I've discussed this enough. Uh, but yes, Taylor Fritz beat Rafa Nadal 6-3, 7-6, and if you didn't watch the match... Uh, you missed quite a lot. First off, you missed Rafael's first loss of, tw- of the 2022 calendar year. You lost Taylor Fritz uh, winning his first ever ATP Masters 1000 title. And above all, you missed an interesting match that even though it wasn't as noteworthy as, say, Alcraz versus Nadal or even Fritz versus Rublev, it was still an interesting match throughout the entire runtime of it. And the reason as to why Taylor Fritz one against Nadal, if you didn't watch my podcast clips video, uh, is because he hit clean winners th- from the baseline out uh, through adding pace and you know controlling the tempo of shots, while also throwing Nadal off his game by keeping him tethered to the baseline and not letting him play outside of that vicinity. And if Nadal didn't have that pectoral issue, if Nadal was able to again, you know, be able to incorporate more of that drop shot or get Fritz more to the net, then you would have seen a different result for Rafa Nadal going his way instead of Taylor Fritz. Uh, however, that just wasn't the case. And as a result, Taylor Fritz won the Indian Wells final against Rafa Nadal. So let's get right into the match. Uh, first set, Nadal's pectoral issues allow Fritz to control pace and tempo of the of the ball and throw Nadal off his game at the baseline, as I've said before. Uh, but that was very evidently so in that first set. Uh, great forehand winner by Fritz to make it 15-30, Nadal serving low ball. Uh, again, I recapped this uh, yesterday, but I just want to, you know, sort of break it down a little bit more um fritz breaks you know fr- i'm just want to lead it off by saying this fritz broke nadal in that first game and that's because a nadal ground stroke went a bit too wide and that's one of the many unforced errors that we'd see of nadal throughout this entire match i think he had upwards of like 30 nearly 40 unforced errors and this is a two-set game so f- Going up near, uh, being near 40 unforced errors in a two-set match, that's not good. Uh, that's quite inexcusable. Uh, but again, he had those pectoral issues, and I do feel like that was a factor in that match. So yes, uh, Fritz breaks uh, Nadal as ground stroke goes a little bit too wide to make a one love on changeover. Fritz holds and makes a two love, and right then and there, you got to hit the panic button. I know Nadal was able to come back from Love 2 to make a 4-2 against Alcraz yesterday. But again, to go down to Love again, but on final Sunday, you got to hit the panic button. And that's when I hit the panic button. That's when a lot of people hit the panic button. Because then Fritz would go up a double break to make a 3-love changeover. Uh, you know, Fritz would then Love hold to make a 4-love. And that's when you realize, okay, Fritz will probably go and win that first set. It's very rare when somebody goes up four love or five love and then ends up losing. You know, it's very rare that happens. Maybe Andy Murray against like Baskalashvili in that Wimbledon match last year. Maybe that's the case. You know, he was like up five love and he lost that set seven five. Go watch it if you haven't already because that was an incredible choke 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 jog by Andy Murray. And I love Andy Murray, but you got to call it like you see it. Uh, so yeah, once once someone goes up for love, 
that's when you realize, okay, this match will probably go that person's way. Uh, so yes, uh, Fritz held to make it a four love. Nadal was able to love hold to make it four one. So at least he got a game in. You know that's 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 good enough. Uh, I mean you you know sort of uh, you know win two more games, but still a game is a game, and you have to give him credit for that. Uh, great forehand by Nadal, make it forty thirty four serving one for its serving. Uh, Nadal returns serve goes a bit too wide. Uh, as Fritz makes it 5-1. And again, as I mentioned before, Fritz knew how to chain Nadal to the baseline in this match. You know, and when there were rallies, more often than not, it would go Fritz's way because it would either lead to a great winner by Fritz or lead to a shank on Nadal's part but through his forehand or through his backhand that would lead to an unforced error. And, you know, it's very important to know that, you know, the banana shots weren't so evident in this match. You know, the banana shots were not so evident in this match, and that's because of the fact that your pectoral muscle or Nadal's pectoral muscle was injured. So it's hard to generate power when you're not able to use your entire body to get a shot in. You know, and that's something that, you know, we've seen Nadal do time and time out is, you know, generating his entire motion of his body to get clean winners, and that just wasn't the case whatsoever in this match. So, yes, uh, Fritz return serve goes a bit too wide as Nadal makes a 5-2 changeover. And that's when Nadal called a doctor and physio during this changeover. And overall, we knew that there was some issue with Nadal. I mean, this, I mean, we've seen Nadal, you know, sort of touch on his pec uh, in that Alcaraz match that he had yesterday, or on Saturday, I will say. Especially in that latter half of that second set going into that third set. Uh, but yes, it was quite evident because of the fact that he called not only a physio, but a doctor, which is very uncommon uh, in tennis. You know, usually it's just like a physio or whatnot. When you call a doctor, that's like, okay, this is a bit legitimate, a bit serious. Uh, and, you know, kudos to Nadal for playing that out. But yes, uh, Nadal called a physio and a doctor for that. And Nadal was able to break as Fritz's slice didn't go over the net. And again, you know, if if Nadal was just able to do more of that, then you would have seen a different result. But oh, oh well. Um, Nadal first serve serves as a set point, uh, 30-40-3-5. Um, oh, sorry. Nadal first serve saves as a set point, not serves as a set point. No. Uh, forehand goes a bit too wide as Fritz gets the first set. And he would win that first set 6-3. And again, the first set lasted only 39 minutes. So if you're if you know Nadal, if you know his game, you know that's quite uncommon to see, uh, very very uncommon. So let's get into that second set, shall we? Uh, Nadal would go in the locker room, did issues with his pectoral muscle. It would be like a, a, a length of three minutes. Obviously, when you go into the locker room, it usually takes three minutes. But again, not good, not good whatsoever. Um, so yes, Fritz holds as Nadal backhand goes a bit too wide. Again, it's a tail's all this time. Uh, you know, backhand down the line by Fritz makes it 15-30, love serving one Nadal serving. Drop shot plus backhand by Nadal allows it to be 30-all, love one Nadal serving. Nadal holds his Fritz while he doesn't make it over the net one-all. So yeah, I mean, even though Fritz did moderately well, I wouldn't say moderately well, I'd say he did competently well at the at the net, it wasn't the same game as Nadal, right? Nadal at the net in this match was really good. And if he just stuck to that, then you would have seen a different result. And I know Fritz did have some winners, especially when it was 2-all in that second set, uh, especially near the net. Overall, I did think Nadal played a little bit better. And if he was just able to sort of, sort of vary his shot selection, if he was able to incorporate the drop shot or even the drop volley, especially in that tiebreaker, I think you would have seen a result that would have played in Nadal's favor in this match, but it, would, it just wasn't the case for him. Nadal holds as Fritz Volley doesn't make it over the net one all. Uh, Fritz forehand sails along as Nadal breaks to make it 2-1. Fritz gets the break on two break points and be tied up at two. And this is my favorite, probably my favorite game of the entire set, two all. Uh, because you did see the strengths of both players, but also the weaknesses of both players. Forehand down the line by Fritz makes it 30-42 all Fritz serving. Nice cross-court passing shot by Nadal to go back to Deuce. Volley goes a bit too wide by Fritz as he becomes advantage Nadal. Back and forth volleys by both Fritz and Nadal makes it go back to Deuce for Fritz. Drop shot by Fritz goes back to Deuce yet again. 
forehand cross court ends a pivotal fifth game to make a 3-2 changeover. And I think that that went uh, Fritz's way, I, I would say. Uh, Rafa, sorry, uh, passing shot by, uh, well, we'll sort of, I give, I'll give you the abridged version. So just sorry if I'm, you know, speaking this up a bit. But again, I, re- I recapped this on my podcast clip channel. Uh, passing shot by Nadal makes an advantage. Nadal, this is 3-2 now. Uh, Nadal gets it out of the net to make it 3-all. Uh, again, just giving the abridged version. Nadal ground shot goes too wide as Fritz holds and makes a 4-3 changeover. Backhand cross-court winner by Nadal ties it up yet again to make it 4-all. Forehand cross-court by Nadal ends 36-shot rally to make it 30-44-all. And I know people like, you know, long rallies. You know, there was like this long rally between uh, Djokovic and Zverev last year, U.S. Open semifinal. That was like over 50 shots. And I'm like, I get it. You know, I know why people like rallies. But I feel like at some point, one or the other is just trying to be a pusher. And I just... You know, my when I used to play tennis in high school, I know that's quite a bit of a, quite a while ago, five years ago, not bragging. Uh, but I remember playing against so many pushers. And I'm like, this is just boring now. I'm I'm getting tired. There's no sort of you know competitiveness whatsoever. It's just a battle of who cannot commit an unforced error. And personally, I just don't like it. Like I I don't like 36 shot rallies. It gives me PTSD. But people liked it, so whatever. Fritz holds as Nadal ground stroke uh, goes too wide to make a 5-4. Uh, bad volley by Fritz leads to another great passing shot by Nadal to make a 30-all. Um, bad drop shot by Nadal leads to Fritz just squeaking a winner near the net, 30-40. Uh, forehand winner by Nadal ties it to a 5 apiece. Um, yeah, we'll just get right into it. Uh, Fritz ace allows him to make a deuce and save two break points. Uh, drop shot volley by Fritz makes it advantage Fritz. Uh, forehand winner near the net allows Fritz to hold to make it 6-5. Six, six, Nadal holds and then it goes to tiebreaker. So 6-all, tiebreaker time. Nadal whiffs on a forehand to make it one left Fritz. And again, the issues that we would see from Nadal in that first and second second side would, be, would exacerbate in that tiebreaker and it would really be put under the microscope under that tiebreaker. So just to uh, get you guys in the loop. Forehand down the line makes a two love Fritz. Forehand goes a bit too wide for Fritz to make a 3-2 Nadal to serve. Draw volley by Nadal uh, is the equalizer to make a 3-all changeover. And now it's just a, a superb draw volley. The, the placement, the awareness by Nadal, all of that really was in fruition with that drop, drop volley. So kudos to Nadal for that. Backhand by Fritz. Can't get over the net to make a 4-3 Nadal. Smash by Nadal makes a 5-4 Nadal. Nadal shanks a dry volley as it becomes 5-all. Uh, Fritz forehand winner allows him to get the tie break to make it 7-5. And that was leading up to an error by, made by Nadal. So overall, Fritz beats Nadal 6-3, 7-6, 7-5 was your tiebreaker. And as a result, is your 2022 Indian Wells champion. And there's a lot to get into uh, for this match. Uh, and I, I, I discussed, it, discussed that on my podcast clips channel. So go check that out on my podcast clips channel if you haven't already. Uh, but my overall question for you guys in this match, and an overall question that I do want to get into is, will this Indian Wells loss on Rothnadal affect his clay season chances? And my overall opinion on, on that is, I don't think so, right? I think there's a difference between hard court and clay court. Nadal is not playing the Miami Open. We've heard that before. He says that he wants to focus on the clay season. The clay season lasts for about two months, roughly two months or so. I don't think Rafa Nadal's loss at Indian Wells will affect his clay season chances. I do think he'll win at least one ATP 1000 tournament. Maybe two. I think two is a little bit stretching it, I think, due to his age and whatnot. I don't think he will be able to win. I, I want him to win two, but I, I realistically, realistically speaking, I don't think so. He might win the Italian Open or he might win Monte Carlo. I don't think he'll win, you know, two of that. I think there are like three or four. ATP 1000 tournaments within the clay season, I think three, uh, if you include the Madrid, Madrid Open. But I do think he will squeak, squeak by with just like one ATP 1000 tournament. And I do still think he is the clear-cut favorite for the French Open. But I do think that you know this loss will not affect him whatsoever in the clay season. Yes, it does sting that he did lose. Don't get it twisted. It does sting. You know, he did lose against a pretty competently well player. You know, he did lose to a man that won against Rublev, won against other individuals that have been prolific within the, within the ATP circuit. 
But I don't think this will this loss will affect him because there was a difference between Nadal on clay versus Nadal on hard court. Right? I think Nadal on hard court. I mean, Nadal on clay has won 13 titles. Um, I mean, that's unfathomable. I mean, that's he's the winningest player on clay. You know, they don't call him the king of clay for no reason. You know, he is the best player on clay, and I don't think I don't feel like there's any signs of him stopping anytime sooner, anytime sooner than later. So, I do think that Nadal will have a really good 2022 clay season, and I do think that it will culminate with him, him winning the French Open. But again, I do think that, you know, this loss in particular, especially his pectoral issues, I do think that it will somehow, some way affect him within the clay season. I don't think it will affect him so to the point where he will lose. But keep in mind that not only is he dealing with a pectoral issue, but he's also dealing with a foot injury as well. You know, a nagging foot injury that has been tethered and to his career for the past five years now, six years now. I mean, he, he's had lingering issues with his body for the past decade or so, you know, ever dating back to the Australian Open uh, in like 2014, 2015. So again, keep in mind those issues, those injuries, because they will play a role. I'm not going to say they will play a significant role in in his matches at the clay season, but they will play a role. I do think that him taking some time off from tennis, you know, and when I say time off, I mean him not playing the Miami Open will generally help him. You know, I don't think him playing the Miami Open will do him any favors. But do keep in mind his injuries because I do think it will. It won't significantly significantly affect him, but I do think it's a note to keep in mind and to stitch into your mind uh, because who knows? It could you know reflare. You know, I mean, it could flare up again. You know, he's still dealing with it as of today, as of this moment in time. So. Overall, long story short, and to answer my own question, I do not think his Indian Wells loss will affect his clay season chances. I do think he will win either Monte Carlo or the Italian Open or even the Madrid Open, one of the three. Uh, Not two of the three, not all of them, but I do think he will win one of the three and also win his maybe his 14th French Open title, assuming that he plays some of the best tennis he can possibly can, while also beating against significant players such as Djokovic, Medvedev, and people that we've been accustomed to hearing uh, in that top 10 ranking discussion as other players, as well as other players within the ATP. So yeah, I, I think that's a very, very important thing that I at least get out there as well. So uh, I'm happy to at least discuss it, you know. So yes, uh, let's get into, uh, I feel like that's it for the tennis news. Uh, you know, I do think that's, I, I feel like I talked about that ad nauseum, you know, for both tennis. Uh, you know, I, I want to take a little bit of a break from tennis. Let's talk about something outside of, of the sports world, you know, something that's completely different, uh, something that's a change of pace, if you will. Um, Tom Brady unretires to play for the Buccaneers. Very, very different story, not sports related whatsoever. Let's get into it. Uh, so Tom Brady uh, retired for a span of a good five weeks. He's retired for 40 days and unretired. Uh, last Sunday, he unretired. He delivered a lengthy Instagram post, lengthy Twitter post, saying that while he enjoyed his retirement, that he has to play for the Buccaneers. Uh, he you know, loves his family a lot, which, uh, you know, that's... that's you know, that's, that's what his Twitter post said. That's what his Instagram post said. So, uh, again, I feel like this is good news to hear if you're a fan of football, if you're a fan of sports, if you're a fan of success, honestly. Like, this is more of a discussion of having enjoyment and finding the thrill in people doing well. You know, because Tom Brady is, as I've said before, he is Patrick Bateman if he played football. You know, imagine, like, if you guys haven't watched American Psycho, what are you doing with your life? Go watch American Psycho. It's the best film of all time, in my opinion. I know it's a very film, bro film, whatever. I don't care. It's a great film. You know, I, I like how people go after film bros for having their own film taste. But it's like most films that film bros enjoy are really good. I mean, American Psycho, Fight Club, Donnie Darko. I mean, these are like technically considered film bros like these are considered films made for the average film bro but they're great you know there will be blood is a great film like i'm sorry that people like to categorize people other people for for 
having good taste in film. But I like I like films that are generally associated with that film bro aesthetic. Obviously, Wolf of Wall Street, not my cup of tea, but I do enjoy your average film bro type of movie, if you will. So yeah, uh, going back into the, into this discussion though, uh, Tom Brady went to Man United. Uh, went to a Man United Tottenham game, which is like two storied franchises within the APL. I think the Glazers own Man United, so he met, he wanted to talk to the Glazers and wanted a potential a, pot- a potential trade, uh, either to like the Dolphins or the Niners. He they didn't oblige, and again, this is all allegedly. I'm I'm just I want to throw an allegedly out there because I don't know. I I truly do not know if this happened, but I'm just getting this from from Twitter. So. Again, bear with me here, but uh, he wanted a trade, wanted out of uh, Tampa Bay. I th- there was some issue, some rift between him and Bruce Arians and the coach, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And as a result, uh, the Glaciers didn't obl- oblige. Uh, they said either you can leave football or play with the Bucks. And the very next day, he decides to play, uh, continue playing with the Buccaneers. Um, and this is great news if you're a fan of football, if you're a fan of success, if you're a fan of people doing well, and if you want there to be parody in football, this is great news. I love it. I'm a, I'm a Tom Brady fan. I really am. Um, you know, he's a man that I, I, I didn't grow up watching Jordan. You know, I didn't grow up watching Michael Jordan. He was a little bit before my time. I'm 23 years old. Uh, no pun intended. You know, no, there's, I know there's a correlation between his jersey number with my, with my number, with my age. But I didn't grow up watching Michael Jordan. You know, I grew up a little bit watching Kobe Bryant, but that's like during the tail end of his like Laker run, uh, Laker championship run. So Tom Brady was that guy for me. You know, I mean, and I grew up in Boston. I live in Boston. So I, I still have an affinity for Tom Brady. Uh, he I've seen him win three Super Bowls. Uh, again, he won three other Super Bowls, but that's like when I was like in kindergarten and preschool and whatnot. So, I mean, I was like two years old when he won his first ripple. So that's a little, you know, that shows just how dominating he has been for the past two decades. Um, So, yeah, I'm excited to see him play. I I love Tom Brady, you know. Uh, I really do. I mean, everything from him, you know, playing tennis to him selling overpriced nuts on his TB12 website. You know, I I drink his smoothies all the time. You know, I love his smoothie recipe. I love Tom Brady, man. He's a great te- he's a great player. He's a great ambassador for the sport of football, and he's he he has the mindset of a winner. Like he has a mindset of a person that is just unwilling to lose. And I feel like we could take a lot of things from that. And he's a, he's 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 motivating. Like I'm not gonna lie. Like you know when what people see in Kevin Hart, I see in Tom Brady. You know, obviously people like Kevin Hart. Uh, like I liked his earlier comedy specials. Uh, but I like Tom Brady. Like when I see Tom Brady perform uh, each and every Sunday, I'm like, this man has inspired me so much, and I will con- I'll forever be in debt to him doing well. I'll forever be in debt to for him giving me happiness and joy each and every Sunday. So uh, I I really really uh, have nothing bad to say about Tom Brady. Honestly, I really don't. Um, and you know it really leads into the, that mindset that you know for some people their profession is their crack you know and when i say crack i mean crack you know that's what i mean you know for some people that's this is their crack and tom bright for tom brady football is his crack and he needs his crack fix he needs that that you know fix within him he needs that you know shot you know he needs that you know he is a junkie he's a football junkie you know just like i'm a comedy junkie just like you know i need stand-up comedy in my life you know just like how i need to uh go up each and every day to perform you know on mics and and just see shows that my friends are on and, and whatnot you know football is tom brady's crack and he needs it to succeed he needs it to thrive and you know he's not going to let anybody deter him from his path and i think that's very admirable in a in competitive sports you know in competitive sports where people are just phoning in for the check you know how many players have we seen just phone it in for the check not only in football but also specifically in tennis as well you know how many times have we seen people just quit halfway through the match just because somebody heckled them you know not naming any names but how many times have we seen individuals choke away their chance of winning a final 
or a match just because somebody told them you suck. You know, Tom Brady's not that individual. You know, I mean, ha- ha- if you guys haven't seen that video, there was this video of Seattle Seahawks fans and on Super Bowl 49, Super Bowl 49, just heckling the Patriots. They're, the Patriots were in their tunnel. They're getting ready for, you know, the announcer to announce the na- their names and, you know, get out of the tunnel to for their player introductions. And they're just situated in the tunnel. And you just saw so many Seahawks fans just incessantly boo and jeer and heckle Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. And they were calling them cheater. They were calling them that they don't deserve it. I mean, it's on YouTube. Go go check, that, check out that video. It gives me goosebumps. Like, I'm getting goosebumps right now. And to see, you know, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick just look dead on on the field, not focused on what's uh, beside them, just focus on what's ahead of them. And, and to see them just have that stone cold look on their face, like they're they're willing to commit murder on the field, which they did. Uh, I mean, that that was just one of the best videos I've ever seen in football because it wasn't even football related. It was just their mindset and their mentality for playing in that match, for playing in that game. This is not tennis, this is football game, not match. So yeah, go watch that video if you haven't already. Uh, it, it's one of the best, like, I, I watch that like, at least like once every couple of months, just because it's just so beautiful. It, it's just it's such a great, it's like a minute long, it gives you everything. And it shows you just how willing and how focused he is on what he loves and that's football and for some people you just can't put a price on it you know i mean tom brady is not you know the wealthiest qb in nfl i mean he's he's not getting the paid the most amount of money for football i mean there's a different there's a difference obviously he got you know that 700 million dollar evaluation by autograph so that is a difference uh that makes a difference but uh, for football, Aaron Rodgers makes a, a heck of a lot more money than Tom Brady. But for Tom Brady, it's it's not about the money. You know, for Tom Brady, when it comes to football, he wants to win. And if it means him taking a pay cut to get better talent, whether it means taking a pay cut to sign Chris Godwin or taking a pay cut to, you know, make sure his defense gets better weapons or gets better assets, if it means, you know, potentially signing Julio Jones, you know, he's going to do that to get and hoist the Lombardi. And you just can't put a price tag on some players. So that's that's overall my opinion on Tom Brady on retiring uh, to play the sport of football. And overall, I'm just excited to see uh, what's to come for Tom Brady. I really am. And because, again, he's... I, I mean, honestly, like, this man has given me so much inspiration. Like, I, I really... Like, what, what I view Andy Murray as, I view Tom Brady the same way. Obviously, one has won a lot more, has succeeded a lot more in their profession than the other. But when it comes to how they've inspired me in terms of their willingness to never back down and to make it competitive, um, he's that individual that I always keep in mind when I, when I, whenever I think of people that want to do well and, more importantly, um, succeed. You know, so... That's that's where I wanted to at least you know leave it off at. Uh, so yeah, you know Tom Brady coming coming comes back to play. Happy for him, but I do feel like his charade of family and whatnot, and his facade of family, I can see like I can sort of see right through it. You know, I feel like certain individuals like like when I saw like Tom Brady be like, "Oh, I need to do this for my family." I'm like, like come on, like own being Patrick Bateman. Please own the idea that you are Patrick Bateman. Like, understand that. You are a serial killer. Like, you are a serial killer in a football player's mind. Like, that's who you are. You are a person that is a perfectionist. You know, for you, you are the most career-oriented individual that I've ever seen in football and outside of football. This has nothing to do with your family. Like, stop with the charade of this being about your family, it's not. Like, it, it really isn't. It's about, you know, you and your love for football and your willing and your desire to be one of the greatest athletes of all time. Because he is. You know, when you think of the greatest athletes of all time, you think of Ali, you think of Jordan, you think of Brady. And I would even throw in Djokovic as well. 
I'll, I'll include those four players uh, in, in terms of in terms of my view, my views of the best athletes of all time. You know, Jordan, Ali, Djokovic, Brady. And that's my Mount Rushmore of best athletes. Uh, all right, let's get into um, our final topic for today, shall we? Joe Rogan has stated that he does not want Donald Trump on his podcast. This was in regards to a tweet that was shortly tweeted after the Nelk boys having Donald Trump on, which obviously was censored. I discussed it on my podcast. Go check it out if you haven't already on my podcast channel. But there was a tweet in regards to Joe Rogan potentially having Donald Trump on. And they were saying that Joe, that Donald Trump is scheduled to be on Joe Rogan, and it will be within the next week or so. A week passed, and as a result, there was no episode. And Joe Rogan decided to sort of settle it, sell it with uh, ex-CIA agent Mike Baker by saying that he doesn't plan on having Donald Trump on his podcast anytime soon. And he stated that Donald Trump fan account reported it, but it was fake news. And more importantly, um, he stated that he doesn't really want to influence the political world, world like that anymore. And and above all else, he decided he said that YouTube removing the Nelk Boys podcast with Trump was in bad taste and that they shouldn't have done it. And overall, I really enjoyed what Don, uh, what Joe Rogan said about his about his interview or his you know him backing away from interviewing Trump or him not interviewing Trump because I thought it was quite pointed, honestly. You know, I thought it came from a very good perspective and a very touching perspective, if you will, if you will. Because there there are times where, you know, he'll have political candidates on. He's had Tulsi Gabbard, he's had Bernie Sanders, he's had Andrew Yang, he's had Dan Crenshaw, he's had a bunch of individuals from all political coalitions sit down with him and have discussions with him on anything, including that of politics. Gary Johnson as well, if you will. If you guys remember Gary Johnson, the guy who said that he wants people to, uh, you know, take a driver's test to drive, and he got booed at the Libertarian Convention because of it. You know, that that guy, you know, the guy that got booed for saying that people should take driver's test for a driver's license. That's the guy. Uh, but yes, Joe Rogan states that he doesn't want Donald Trump on his podcast. And honestly, I kind of support it. I understand where he's coming from. I honestly, like, I don't really see why people are against interviewing Donald Trump. I think it's fine, honestly. I think it's very important to get different perspectives. And more importantly, he was the president of the United States. You know, he's not kryptonite. You know, he's not an individual that, you know, changed anything. Like, let's be honest here. For the for the past four years in his off, in his time in office, he basically did everything else that every other president would do. You know, he continued bombing, you know, third world countries in Africa. He passed a tax cut, cuts bill that, you know, got more, more money in the rich. Uh, he continued, you know, doing the bidding for Israel. He... You know, continue the synthesis and the combination of a neoliberal economic policy with a neoconservative foreign policy. He basically did what all previous presidents did, you know, and that's what Donald Trump's uh, time in office was. You know, he was a man that was a grifter, was a sneaky old salesman that, you know, marketed himself as this populist like figure, but he did everything that was in line with the establishment. And, you know, he was so good at being a grifter, at being such a con artist, at being such a snake oil salesman that he effectively led individuals to storm the Capitol and then bailed on them 30 minutes before they stormed the Capitol. You know, as soon as they were planning on storming the Capitol, he was like, no, I'm not going to be a part of it, which honestly, that was a good, good thing that Donald Trump did. You know, I think him backing away from that was a good thing. But still, I mean, these are your supporters. You know, these are, you know, some of your most... I mean, your average Donald Trump supporter is lower middle class. You know, he is a person or she is a person that lives in middle America. You know, he's a person or she's a person that, you know, works a union job and, you know, doesn't have access to health care. And you're going to bail on these individuals, these workers that helped you in office and put you in office. I don't know. Uh, Donald Trump has his own issues. But again, I think Joe Rogan not wanting to interview Donald Trump it's his choice, and I don't begrudge him for it. I think it's his podcast. You do whatever you, whatever you want on your podcast. Uh, but, you know, again, I, I do think that, you know, having an interview with Donald Trump, I think it's very important to just hear out different perspectives. And I support Don, uh, Joe Rogan. I almost said Donald Trump. No, I don't support Donald Trump. Screw Donald Trump. I don't care about Donald Trump. But I do support Joe Rogan and not wanting to interview Donald Trump. And, you know, to see the right go after Joe Rogan for not interviewing Donald Trump, I kind of think that's in poor taste. 
I do because, again, why would you want to have a modest podcast? You know, for me, like I'm, I'm down to interview anybody. You know, whatever, whatever helps my podcast, I'll do it. Uh, but again, with Joe Rogan, it's like, why would he? He's already been in trouble with Spotify too many times. Why would you want to interview Donald Trump and get him banned from Spotify? Like that makes no sense whatsoever. So again, it's his podcast. He can do whatever he wants on it. You know, if he wants to interview XCI agents like Mike Baker, so be it. Uh, but again, I just thought that was a bit interesting to see and to at least discuss because I just saw the right, you know, just, you know, just go after Joe Rogan on Twitter. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, there's so many more important issues to focus on than Joe Rogan not wanting to interview Donald Trump, you know, and does Joe Rogan want to be in the news cycle again? I mean, how many times have we heard Joe Rogan in the news cycle for the past few months? So I, I don't hate on what Joe Rogan is doing i actually kind of understand it you know it comes from a place of him just wanting to uh have a podcast that he can enjoy and relax in you know and it doesn't have to be a job you know i feel like there are times where you know joe rogan will sit down with a political candidate or with a political host and he's like okay like what are we doing here you know you see that candace owens interview uh and I'll, that's that's where i'll sort of you know tell you you know if you want to Listen to an interview where Joe Joe Rogan just wants to end it as soon as possible. Listen to that Candace Owens interview. That was that was. I felt bad for Joe Rogan afterwards. I really did. When I saw that, I'm like, man, oh man, I really sincerely feel bad for you, Joe. That you have to sit through this uh, because you do not have to go through this at all, uh, at all. Like, I'm I'm very very sorry. Uh, and there's certain interviews that you know will be left out for the purposes of this podcast but you know there are times where joe rogan will sit down with a political host and he'll just sift through them and he can just see through it you know there are times where you know, where there was a time where he sat down with dave rubin and he just literally just eviscerated him on government regulations on buildings and i've never been that entertained on a discussion of government regulations on buildings before or since so go check that out. Go check those two interviews out that Joe Rogan had with Candace Owens and Dave Rubin because, man, oh, man, those were highly entertaining to watch. And I'm a person that generally just wants to have fun on a podcast. I don't really like to talk about politics too much. I like to talk about tennis. I like to talk about Brady. But go check out those interviews out because they are very, 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 very interesting and fun, honestly, enjoyable. Like, I had... A popcorn amounts of fun while watching those two podcast interviews that Joe Rogan sat down with those two individuals. Very, I had a lot of fun watching them. Uh, so go check those uh, videos out if you haven't already. But yes, Joe Rogan does not want to interview Donald Trump. I don't hate him for it. And honestly, I kind of understand it. For me personally, I don't mind it. I, I'll interview anybody. And honestly, this podcast doesn't have that many followers, so many, that many subscribers. Having Donald Trump on, on my podcast does no harm but good. So if Donald Trump wants to sit down with me, so be it. I don't care. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll entertain anything, you know. So yeah, let's let's get into uh, let's get into our last bit of discussion here, shall we? Uh, let's get into my weekly pick. Uh, so this week, I'll be each and every week. I'll sort of give you a backline or backstory as to how this came up. Each and every week, I'll recommend a book, a piece of art, a film, sometimes an album that I really enjoyed that I think you guys will enjoy as well. This week, in celebration of its 20th anniversary, I will be announcing and I'll be recommending NERD's In Search Of. If you guys haven't checked out this album, you should. NERD is a rap rock group by Chad Hugo, Chappelle Lacey, no, Shay Haley. Chappelle Lacey is a comedian. I'm sorry. I'm getting my blacks confused. It's a rap rock group between Chad Hugo, Shay Haley, and Pharrell Williams. And it's it's the debut album for them. And uh, two of them are part of the Neptunes. But it's a great, great album. I really, really enjoyed this album. And this album inspired a lot of artists to where they are today. You know, when you think of... Tyler Crater, Odd Future in general. You know, Odd Future just celebrated 10 years of oldie, so go check out that video. Uh, very good, very fun video, music video if you haven't already. Uh, but yes, Odd Future, Tyler the Creator, even 
obscure artists, you know, artists that aren't really affiliated with Odd Future. You know, they were inspired by NERD, uh, you know, you know, Dominic Fike, you know, Brockhampton. I mean, those are often affiliated with, uh, with, uh, with Odd Future. But yes, this was the debut album for, for NERD. And again, there are several songs in this album that are definitely rap rock influenced that were just amazing. You know, Provider is just this amazing soulful track. Um, you know, Run to the Sun is another amazing track. Uh, that's very upbeat, you know, sort of the core progressions in that song alone are just so noteworthy. Uh, and my favorite song in this album is definitely Bobby James. And, you know, Bobby James is just this soulful, tuneful melody with that amazing outro at the end. It's everything that you want out of NERD and then some. And then you also have the more aggressive songs on, the, on this album that were also really good. Lab Dance, a really good song. Rockstar, another great song. Uh, Truth or Dare, another great song that Khalees is on. Uh, she sort of balances out the push of T on that song. So go check this album out. I really enjoyed it. And as I mentioned before, you know, this album really influenced a lot of individuals. And while it's not some you know critically received album or it's not like other albums that were released in the same year as and as this album you know turn on the bright lights was a great album it's my favorite album of all time interval's turn on the bright lights go check that uh, album out if you haven't already uh echoes the rapture or raptures the echoes another great album go check it out while this album was not critically received it's definitely an album that i think should be viewed as one of the best rap rock albums of that decade which it is you know i mean when you think of hybrid theory when you think of deftones white pony i think this is well in line with those albums you know when you think of a system of a dance toxicity you know i know this is more new metal but still rap rock is still rap rock you know so i think you know nerd is in search of should be in that discussion of those albums and it's a sleeper album you know it's definitely a a sleeper album those it's like licorice you know those who like licorice licorice really love licorice i happen to really love nerds in search of so go check it out if you haven't already but guys i think that's it for the topics for today guys thank you so much for watching thank you so much for listening make sure you like subscribe and click the bell icon for notifications down below make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel my podcast clips channel make sure you follow me on instagram and twitter at oj tucker h-a-y-t-h-a-k-k-a-r and make sure you rate and review on itunes and spotify i know the spotify app has a new feature where you can review a podcast and whatnot so make sure you do that and lastly make sure you spread the word on whether whether it's through whatsapp or through your text chains whatever gets people you know into this podcast spread it word of mouth is very very important you know some of the biggest podcasts out there were just done through text chains and through whatsapp so if you're able to do that that's great as well and uh that's about it for today guys uh thursday i don't know what i'll be able to talk about i don't know maybe it's the miami open i think it's running i think it's the qualifiers who knows but i'll try and talk about tennis related news talk about things outside the tennis world probably more so outside of the tennis world than news within the tennis world but nevertheless guys thank you so much nonetheless i should say uh thank you guys so much for watching thank you so much for listening and i'll see you guys on thursday uh with the new podcast and we'll talk more about that we'll talk more about tennis and news outside of tennis then so guys thank you so much for watching thanks so much for listening i'll see you guys on thursday all right guys peace see y'all